2: He wants all of you. That's why in the Shema, the children of Israel were taught, love the Lord your God with all your heart. That's when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Could it be that some of our problems arise because we've not given God our heart? I don't know about you, but there are moments where I have felt like I've fallen and I can't get up. I'm filled with guilt. I'm covered with shame. I feel like I'm no use to God. And it's in those moments that I need to be reminded that our God is a God of restoration. He's a God of grace. He's a God of healing. And every one of us here either are that person who needs to come back today We know someone who needs a comeback today. So, before we do anything else, I want us just to pray that God would speak to us through his word because that's where we're going to see the pathway to life's comebacks. And let's ask that he change us because we've gathered here today. Let's pray together. Father, again, we just thank you that we are able to come into your presence as your creation. We can come to our creator. And though we may not visibly see you face to face today, we can sense your presence in a mighty and a tangible way. So thank you, God. You are a mighty God worthy of our worship. You know everything that's taking place in our life. You're not caught off guard by it. And you have the power to see us through for your glory. So we give you praise. And in this moment, we ask that you would draw us back to you like never before. Lord, for that person that is in need of a comeback today, I pray that you would be the answer to their prayers. For that person that's drifted away and doesn't even know it, I pray that you would awaken them uh, like if someone awakes when startled in their sleep. And God, I pray for that person that doesn't know you, that today, in the name of Jesus, would be the day of their salvation. God, I pray that you would do this for your glory. And that's so important. I ask you once more, let the words I say and even my thoughts be pleasing to you, my strength, my Redeemer. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as you're seated, take that copy of God's Word and turn to 2 Samuel chapter 11. That's what we're going to pick up in just a moment. Everybody loves a comeback story. That's what we're going to talk about today and for the next several weeks, comeback stories from Scripture We've had times of failures, disappointments, unmet expectations. We've all experienced setbacks. But we have to remember, as someone has said, setbacks are simply setups for comebacks. So as we walk through some of life's setbacks, I want to show you how God can bring us to a place of comebacks. And we're going to do that with some of the most familiar biblical names that you will ever hear. And here's why. You need to know that what God has done for them... He can do for you. We're going to see that you can come back from a season of disobedience, that you can come back from a time of discouragement or depression, that you can come back from relational difficulties, and you can even come back from spiritual drought. But today we look at one of the most popular comeback stories in all of history. It's the comeback of King David, a comeback from a fall from public grace, a scandalous moral failure. And an act of disobedience of epic proportion. It's a comeback. Several years ago, I read a book by Jim Collins. It was a book on leadership called Good to Great. It took the business world and the leadership world by storm. And it gave all these principles of how businesses in America, household names, had made a transition from being a good business to becoming a great business. But there was a problem. Some of those great businesses didn't stay great. And so a, a few years later, Jim Collins literally had to write a second book. It's a great book. It's called How the Mighty Fall. And in this book, he details those very businesses that had fallen from greatness. And he talks about things in their lives and their companies that caused that fall. That's kind of what we're going to do today as we look at King David. You remember his story. There's a poem about him, right? Humpty David sat on a wall. Humpty David had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put David together again. Well, I'm I'm not sure if that's the way you learned that little nursery rhyme, but it fits, right? And yet there, there came a king who did what no one could do. That's what I want you to walk away with today. The king of kings put David together again, and he can do the same for you. So as you think about that today, I want want you just to picture in your mind, if you've seen it, those social media memes that are very popular. In 2020, they just took us by storm. It's two pictures, and one picture says how it started, and then another picture says how it's going And some of them are really funny, some are probably crude and inappropriate. But I I want you to think about that today, how it started, how it's going, and how it can finish, how it can end. How did it start for David? Well, we just studied Moses, and we learned that Moses died. And after Moses died, the Bible says that Joshua died moses lieutenant god's chosen leader led the children of israel into the promised land and he had many great victories but a crazy thing happened after joshua died he had not raised up a lieutenant he had not remembered to always look behind you and make sure you're bringing somebody along and so in the next book in the bible in judges chapter 2 and verse 10 it says and All that generation also were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation of them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. Oh, what a convicting verse that is for us as parents and leaders today, as church members today. We must do whatever it takes to bring that next generation along. Uh, We must adjust our methods while keeping the message the same to make sure that we're bringing those children and those preteens and those students and those college students along so that they're passionate for the things of God as many of their forefathers have been. And so in that season, the people of Israel rebelled. And ultimately, they cried out for a king. They didn't really need a king because they had a king, right? God was their king. But sometimes God gives us over to our wishes, even when it's not in our best interest. And so God gave them a king. You know that king's name. What was his name? It was King Saul. And Saul was the people's king. He wasn't necessarily God's king. And Saul sinned in such a way that it really caused him a a great destruction in his life. But as God was preparing for the next chapter of Israel... He wanted to do something special. And we hear about that in 1 Samuel 13, 4. Listen to what it says. But now your kingdom shall not continue, Saul. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be a prince over his people. Because you've not kept what the Lord commanded you. This is how it started for David. David he's described as a man after God's own heart. A few chapters later, we see that Samuel follows the word of God, and and he goes to Jesse, the father of David, and he knows that the king is going to come from Jesse's son, and he looks through all the older sons, and He doesn't see one that seems to be the anointed one from God. And so we have another amazing verse in 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. It says, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature. Because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as a man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. I think God is teaching us something here. If we are to experience comebacks from our falls from grace, we need to know that God wants our heart. Hear that today. God wants your heart. He wants all of you. That's why in the Shema, the children of Israel were taught, love the Lord your God with all your heart. That's when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Could it be that some of our problems arise because we've not given God our heart? given we've given him little portions of our life we've given him little moments of our time we've given him little bits of our resource when he wants our heart well what happens when god gets your heart well great things take place david becomes king He goes through this season of greatness where he kills Goliath. He serves Saul first. Saul rebels against him. He begins to hate him. Eventually, Saul dies. David is king. He accomplishes many great victories. But in 2 Samuel chapter 11, we find him about 20 years into being king. He's 50 years old. He's experienced a lot of success. Things should be good. But in 2 Samuel 11, we see how it's going for David. I'm going to tell you this story, but first, I want you to see how it's going. Look at chapter 11, verse 27. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. How it started? He's a man after God's own heart. How it's going? He's done something that's broken the heart of God. And this is why we can all relate to David, right? We've all done things, we've all said things, we've all experienced things that have broken the heart of God that have displeased him. So let's look a little deeper into David's story. I think you'll find it interesting. 2nd Samuel chapter 11 verse 1. In the spring of the year when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. Late one afternoon after his midday rest, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. Now, you don't have to be a theologian or a scholar to understand something. David was in bed when he should have been in battle. When you don't find yourself at the right place at the right time, when you're at the wrong place at the wrong time, You're opening the door to do battle with the enemy. It's in this setting that we see David's great fall. There's some common things that lead to a fall. As a pastor, I was challenged many years ago. I I read about a study where they looked at 200 pastors who had had moral failures, and they all had four things in common. Every one of them had lost their personal intimacy with God. They didn't have an individual devotional life. Every one of them lacked accountability. They said no one was asking them the tough questions. And every one of them said they allowed themselves to be in an inappropriate situation. They, were, they allowed themselves to be blindsided because they put themselves in a situation they shouldn't have been in. And every one of them said they had gone through life thinking that can never happen to me. See, I want you to see something from David's story. It's not just a weak person who falls. Sure, you may fall if you're weak in your faith. But strong people fall as well. And in fact, often in life, you see, after it's a season of victory, that you run the risk of facing a great failure. And that's what's going to take place in David's life. So we need to remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 12. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. What what are some setups for a setback? Let's just learn from David for a second before we even see what he did. First of all, we fall when we're bored. Your mama taught you that, right? Idle hands are what? It's a devil's workshop. So when you find yourself bored... Yeah, and you're just setting yourself up to scroll through that phone or that computer and look at things you shouldn't look at, to go places you shouldn't go, to do things you shouldn't do. We fall when we're bored. We also fall when we're burnt out. When we burn out, man, we've set ourselves up for great failure. That's why God built into this system of life that we have the idea of the Sabbath, That we all need a season of rest. That we don't just go. Nobody goes and goes and goes like the Energizer Bunny. That's a fallacy. That's not true. When we go and wear ourselves out. We're setting ourselves up for failure. We fall when we're blindsided. Like the pastors who said. This could never happen to me. Bless God. There's one thing I'd never do. Let me just tell you something today. But for the grace of God. There's nothing I'm not capable of. If I recognize the wrong circumstances of life, the wrongful attitude of my heart, and I'm capable of anything and everything, don't, don't let there be blindsides in your life. Matter of fact, ask somebody today, what are those blindsides in my life? And then we fall when we're backslidden, Right? When we've lost our intimacy with God, as we said in the previous list. Or when we've lost the fear of God. We've gotten over that salvation moment. And you're going to see in David's life that he let the feelings of a moment manipulate the control of his heart. And in that moment, he was not after God's heart. So another practical challenge for you today, don't let the way you feel cause you to forget the way you felt. If you're a Christ follower, think back about that. I I quote this song often because I love it and because I need it, but it says when I think about the Lord, how he changed me, how he saved me, how he picked me up and turned me around, how he put my feet on solid ground, man, that makes me want to shout. Thank you, Jesus. Don't forget that moment. Don't get over your salvation. Let me just ask you before we're we're continuing. Are you where you need to be to fight the battles today? Or are you vulnerable because you're not where you should be? Let's continue. Verse 2. Late one afternoon after his midday rest, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. And he looked out over the city. He noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. Now, I want you to understand something because twice now I've been in the ruins of the city of David. Right outside of what is the current walls of Jerusalem. And I've stood in a place at least similar to where David would have stood. Overlooking the rest of the city, his palace, where he resided was significantly higher in elevation than everything else in the city. And so not only did he have the office of being the king, he had a position of power. And so he literally looked down on everyone. I want you to think about that as you think about what he did. He was looking down over the city. Most of the men were gone. Why? They were where they should be. They were at battle. And David... He notices Bathsheba. Now, even when I was studying this passage again this week, I'm reminded that a lot of people do state the obvious. Women should be careful. We all should be careful about how we present ourselves. We don't want to present ourselves in such a way that creates temptation. But that may be overstating the reality of this moment. I don't think Bathsheba was on her bath doing so, on her, on, in her bath doing something that she didn't normally do. We don't necessarily know that she would have known that the king who should have been in battle would be peeking on her. In fact, he 's in a position of power. I think this is not only a sin, this is an act of abuse. So as he looked over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath, and he sent someone to find out who she was. And he was told, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Now, I think that's a warning. And I don't know about you, but in my life, God has often given me the red warning lights to let me know, whoa, 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 whoa. you don't want to go down this path normally um, normally when someone is described it would not be unusual for them to be described as their father's child but here we see a second step this is also uriah's wife david you know you know uriah now why would david know uriah well he was one of david's 30 valiant men he was one of the inner circle that's why his house was closer to the palace You know, Uriah, David, I want you just to pause and say, is there any area of your life where God today is giving you a warning? He's saying, don't do that. Men, I would say to you that if you're married, it's often your wife that may be able to give you that warning. It may sound like this. I don't like the way that lady looks at you. I don't like the way you talk when you're around that person. I don't like the way that you spend your time all the time on the computer. And then when I come close, you cut it off. And ladies, the same thing's true of you. This is not a beat up on the men time. What are the warning lights in your life? Let's continue, verse 4. Then David sent messengers to get her, so he ignored the warning. And when she came to the palace, he slept with her. You see the romance? You see the love? You see the intimacy? Nope. This is cold hearted sex. It's a sad passage. He goes and gets her like a possession. She'd just completed her purification rites after having her menstrual period, and then she returned home. And later, when Bathsheba discovered that she was pregnant, she sent David a message saying, I am pregnant. Now, we're going to talk about restoration and God's way to a comeback, but I want you to understand something to David he, about David. He didn't collapse in a weak moment. He cultivated a weak moment. And that's what some of us do. We, we don't heed the warnings and, and things are going south. But, but it's not that we just give in in a moment. No, it's a slow fade. What are you flirting with right now that may destroy you later? The Christ life is a life where we learn to feed the things of our faith and starve the things that are sinful. What you feed grows. What you starve grows. Dies. So we have this bombshell from Bathsheba. And we're reminded that sin is always expensive. But here's the good news what we uncover, by his grace, he covers. And this, oh, friend, this is your pathway to a comeback. Look at verse 13, then David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. A year later, his child has already been born. The prophet of God had to come to him and speak to him. And yet David finally gets it, I've sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, yes, but the Lord has forgiven you and you won't die for this sin. Oh, friend, I want you to understand something. What was Nathan bringing to David? The Word of God. And the Word of God broke through. When guilt would not break through, when shame would not break through, when pain would not break through, there's power, there's power in the Word of God.